0: Well, good morning, good morning. How is everyone doing this morning? Okay, well, if you're doing good, turn to the person next to you and say, hey, I'm doing great this morning. Awesome, awesome. Well, as uh, your pastor said, my name is James, James Warren. I, am, I had a long drive this morning from Palestine to get to Athens here, and uh, I'm really honored to be with you this morning. I actually brought my wife with me. This is my beautiful wife, Jean. Yes. Obviously my better half, and obviously I married up, but uh, thank you for having us, and I just want to, first off, thank Nathan and his wife for allowing me to come here. What an amazing pastor you have. Can we just give it up for Nathan and his wife? And I love that uh, they're resting in this season. I believe that rest is so important, and it really shows that you care uh, for your pastor, your pastors, and you want to see them uh, really walk in the fullness of what they have. And so it really, it's actually telling of you. And I just also want to say this building looks incredible. I mean, driving up, I just saw it, it looks amazing. So great job, great job. It's really good. And we had some great coffee. Uh, We were going to stop and get Whataburger, and uh, uh, the Lord led us not to do that. And we're really glad for that decision. So thank you guys for doing that. um, As your pastor said, I I pastor a church in Palestine. Uh, We have the most original name. Uh, it's called Palestine Church. <laughs> I didn't name it, but uh you know that's that's what we are and uh, my wife and I have been doing that we've been senior leaders there for 7 years. Before that we were youth pastoring and doing worship. You know when you're like youth pastor you do like a lot of other things as well. And I know that I've had the privilege of meeting several of the pastors here. I met Pastor P, Pastor D. I didn't meet Pastor A, B or C, but uh <laughs> I look forward to I met well yeah no okay well I'll meet the other pastors later, but it really is a a privilege to uh, be here. My wife and I, we've been married 10 years and counting, and they've been all just perfect years and everything. We have two girls, four and six years old. These are like the loves of my life, but it is all girls in my home. I'm the only guy. So if anybody wants to do some bro time later, just let me know. I'm always looking for that, okay? All right. Let's get into the Word. You ready for the Word this morning? Okay. Okay. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. While you're turning there, uh, I'll I'll talk and and kind of set up where we're going this morning. One of the things that I love about Thrive here is that uh, you guys are all about uh, freedom and experiencing freedom. I've already realized that in the first service that there's a passion here for people to know God and, and to know his presence, to encounter the face of Jesus, and then to walk in the freedom that he's purchased for you. Amen? And then live out your purpose. And I just, I love the heart of this church and this ministry, and I can just, I can feel it. There's, there's a lot of uh, resonation that's going on in my heart because, honestly, I've been on a journey for years now to really uh, understand freedom, the freedom that Jesus has purchased for us, right? Uh, the, the Christianity's weird in this way, strange, because, you know, uh, you, you get there, and like every other religion is, gives you this formula to earn your salvation if you will to earn your acceptance by that deity and then you if you've been taught the gospel correctly which i assume you have at this church is that what you realize in christianity is that you step into something that's already done you know it's like uh the lamb was slain before the foundation of the earth and it's like okay so uh what do i do (laughs) it's like well it's it's already done he's already purchased your salvation and and this freedom but how many of you know it's like we're in this weird tension because it's like an already done, but maybe not yet in your life, tension that we're put inside of. And so I've been working through that. i like, okay, so we have this freedom in Christ Jesus, right? Okay, when you get saved, let me tell you about the freedom that you have in Christ Jesus. When you get saved and brought into God's wonderful family, he liberates you from every thing that was every bondage, every change that was on your life. And in that moment, many times what we do is we have this experience or this encounter with the Lord, and we feel completely set free from all of that. We experience freedom maybe like you've never experienced before. Like the chains fall off, the things that were in your mind, in your heart, the things that were holding you back. It's like all of a sudden those are gone. And it's like you can see, you can think, there's there's clarity in your life for the first time. And then there's this freedom. But you know how many of you understand that freedom Although it is, is free, it's always costly. <laughs> free to you, but costly to someone else. And the, the gospel is this, is that the price was paid by Jesus. And, and when we step into this reality with him, then all of a sudden we can experience his freedom for us. But then we realize that that freedom must be walked out in our daily lives. And I think even like we can realize that sometimes the freedoms that we have or that we once had, we can also give away. And we can begin to lose freedoms. I think that's something that's happening in our, in our country right now. We're seeing where freedoms that we've, we've had for so long are being given away by ourselves. And so, um, you know, John 10.10 10 is like that verse that really encourages us in that. What does it say? It says that, that Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. That's an overflowing, amazing life. But you know, sometimes we forget to quote this first part of it, is that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So in this tension that we've put inside of, here's this dynamic. We've got Jesus who says, I've come that you can have life and have it abundantly. But then there's this other thing, this thief, this enemy, that's there to kill, steal, and destroy your life. And so I want to like put us in this tension right here and understand and and hopefully bring some clarity and some understanding on how we not only obtain freedom in our lives, but also how we maintain that freedom. Are you ready for that journey with me? And I don't know if you've had this happen. Like, um, you know, sometimes in life you get going and and you, you come to the realization of the world that you saw, the, world, the way that you thought the world was, is not the way that it actually was. I'm married to a nurse. My wife is an RN. And all the time, I have these beliefs about my body and like why if I eat a certain thing, it's good for me. And then she'll like bring up some knowledge that's the tr- truth. And she's like, yeah, that's why your body does that. And I go, oh, yeah, that's right. And then I'm like, okay. And that like kind of liberates me and sets me free to start eating correctly. And by the way, I want to say this, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, You know, uh, one of the things that uh, is happening in the thriving metropolis of Palestine is we just got a Chick-fil-A this past week. And so uh, my wife hasn't challenged this belief yet, but I do believe that no matter what you order at Chick-fil-A, because it's the Lord's The Lord's chicken is good for you, and uh, I believe that a part of that abundant life is eating lots of of the Lord's chicken. No, (laughs) my wife will correct that in me later. Okay, so let's start in 1 Kings. How do we walk in this freedom? How do we maintain this freedom that Jesus has purchased for us? Now, this story, I'll I'll give you some context because maybe these are some characters that you're familiar with, maybe not. Uh, This story is a story about Elijah. Now, Elijah is a prophet of God. And uh, he has really been experiencing an amazing uh, ministry moment. So he's, he gets the word of the Lord, like God speaks to him, and he speaks on behalf of his generation and the, the children of Israel. And he gives them direction and whatever the Lord is speaking to them. And uh, he just came into this in, encounter with these prophets of Baal. And Baal represented a false god. This, this god this, that everyone was worshiping, this, this idol that people believed was God. But when he had a competition with their prophets versus the the one true living God's prophet, they, uh, they got blown out of the water, or blown out of the fire, really. And he ended up destroying all of them. And he was there in this moment, and he got to see the faithfulness of God as God revealed himself to be the one true God who is listening to his prayer. And all these other people who thought their God was... God, they found out that it's not true. And so they've just been destroyed, and you would think that Elijah would be on the ministry high of his life, and he would be just riding high in, this, in his relationship with the Lord. But this story that we go into kind of reveals a different thing going on in his life. Now, I want to say this about Old Testament stories. I, some of the young men that I disciple they have questions about this. It's like, what, what is this story? Is this an actual story? What does it mean to me? You know, sometimes it's so vague and it's like, what, what's, what's going on here in this story? And how am I supposed to apply this to my life? I'm, I'm that way. I'm like, I want to know what it means to me. Well, one thing that's important to realize is that this is an actual story. This is something that happened thousands of years ago, but it made it into the, the story of the Bible because God wanted us to understand the profound nature of these scriptures and the profound nature of this, this, uh, this story and the eternal significance. Now it takes the Spirit revealing that to us. It takes God opening up our eyes to see what's in this scripture. And so God, we even ask that now. Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our understanding to understand this scripture. Let's start in verse one. It says, Ahab told Jezebel, we'll get back to those characters here in a moment, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of the lives of, of them by this time tomorrow. Speaking of the, the prophets that would have been killed. Verse 3. Then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And left his servant there. Now listen, if you're taking notes, if you like to scribble in your Bible, underline, and left his servant there. Verse 4, also underline, but he himself. He went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now. O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake, a head of cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down a good. Now, listen, it's really a good day when the angels of God are cooking you pound cakes. I'm just saying that like that's a good thing to wake up to. Let's, Let's continue on. Verse seven. And the angel of the Lord came again and a second time touched him and said, arise and eat. For the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Now we're going to read the other uh, verses here in a moment, but I want to I want to zone in on several of these characters in this story and kind of look at what this this story is speaking to us in our journey towards freedom. So we have this Jezebel character. And as I mentioned before, Elijah really should be in the mental state of, of confidence because he has just come off really the greatest moment in his ministry as he has proven to, to his, his enemies, his naysayers, and really the world around him that his God is the one true living God. Yet here we see this Jezebel character come in. She says one sentence to Elijah, and then he's, he's out. He's running for his life. Now what this character represents to us is the enemy, the thief that was referred to in John chapter 10, the the serpent that's in the garden. It's Satan. It's, 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 it's it's, uh, the enemy of our soul, the enemy of our life. And Jesus wants you to have life and life abundantly, but the enemy wants to kill, steal and destroy your life. And so here's how the enemy wants to kill, steal and destroy your life through lies. If you're taking notes, write this down, lies. Now here's the way it works. Lies actually have no power. If I sit up here and I tell you that my shirt is red, everybody laughs, except for that one person that's colorblind in the back. Hey, thank you, but it's, it's white. But I say that my shirt's red, everyone rolls their eyes and goes, this guy's crazy because his shirt's not red. See, that's a lie. I made a lie up that my shirt's red. Well, the enemy works in our lives to, to insert lies into our, our mind, into our heart, into our thinking, but those lies have no power in our life until we believe them. And the moment that we believe a lie, we actually empower the enemy to have some some room in our lives, to have some influence, some authority in our lives. And so Elijah here, we see this man of God who has believed a lie, and that lie has sent him running. Now, I don't know what lie that Elijah has believed. See, maybe it was the lie that God's not good. Maybe it's a lie that says God's not good, or, or maybe what God did for you in that last season, he won't do for you again in this season. Maybe God was faithful to you yesterday, but he's not going to be faithful to you today, and he's sure not going to be faithful to you tomorrow. And the way that lies work is once one lie enters into your life, there's almost like a, a flood of lies that comes behind it. And I've always said it this way, that lies create narratives in our lives. Once we believe a lie, it creates a narrative in our life. In this political climate, we see that one of the things that both sides, every side likes to do is, is they like to create narratives or lies about a, a different candidate. And as, as long as they can get people to believe that this lie is true, and once that narrative gets set in about that candidate, and they get enough people to believe that that's true about that candidate, guess what? Everyone just assumes that that's true about that person, or about that party, or about, this, about our government, or whatever it is. Once there's a narrative, there's, and there's enough people, enough belief behind it, then everyone just assumes it's true. That's the way it works in, with lies in our lives. When you believe a lie about yourself, something that God has not said about you, you empower the enemy in your life. And he takes that narrative and begins to add all the other lies to it. Jesus described the enemy this way, as the father of lies in John 8. 44, he says, speaking of the enemy, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and he's the father of lies. That's all he can do. You know, sometimes we like make Christianity out to this thing of like God versus the devil. There's There's no God versus the devil. God's not, God's not at war with anyone. He is absolutely at peace within himself and everything is well in God's world, but not, not everything's well in our world. Many times, we're, we're in this battle with the thief, with the enemy who's coming to destroy our lives. Are you with me? Does this yeah. make sense? So, so this lie comes into Elijah's life, and it sends him running, running. And I want you to notice this pattern, because when we can recognize the patterns, we're actually going to find that there's freedom when we can recognize these patterns and these systems in our lives and how the Lord wants to set us free from the influence of the enemy. So Jezebel is breathing threats and lies and, and lies about God, lies about our future, lies about your career, lies about your family, lies about everything. And when you believe one of those lies, like Elijah did, it takes root in your life. Now, what lies lead us to is fear. If you take a note, that's point number two fear. We see Elijah as he, after this threat has come from Jezebel, it says in verse 3, Then he was afraid, and he arose, and he ran for his life. Now, we know that the, the plan of the enemy is to use fear in our lives. Now, fear is when lie, a, a lie has taken root in your life, you've believed that lie, but now that lie is motivating you to action. So if Elijah didn't believe that Jezebel could kill him or would kill him, he would not have ran but because he did he began to flee he began to flee now once this action begins in our life fear becomes the the motivating factor for what we do and you know i think really like the epidemic that we're facing right now the biggest thing that's going on in the world is really not covid-19 you know what it is it's fear there's an epidemic of fear going on in our nation and people are motivated by fear to do things that they would not do if they were, like First Timothy says, given, you know, God did not give us a spirit of fear but one of power and love and self-control. So, but when fear begins to take root in our life, it motivates us and it begins to move us away from God's abundant life. So lies lead to fear. Now, what does fear lead to? Fear will always lead us to isolation. I want you to take note here of the next thing we see in the Scripture is that in verse 4, excuse me, in the end of verse 3, after he's afraid, he's running, it says that he left his servant there in Beersheba. And he, by himself, went into the journey, his journey into the wilderness. This is how the enemy works in our lives, okay? Okay. There's lies that we've believed. There's fear that motivates us to action. And now, what does he want us to do? He wants us to get alone and by ourselves. Now, the servant in this story represents someone, not that's just a, an, an employee. You know, we think a we think servant, okay, well, this guy's just there to, to serve Elijah. No, a, a servant to a prophet was someone that lived with them day and night. They were with them every moment of the day. It was someone that had their best interests, at heart. It was someone that was willing to give their life for them. It was someone that they were doing life with. And notice that this this place that Elijah finds himself at happens as he separates from the person that he's called to walk with. One of the things that you can look for in your life, one of the patterns, and we've all been there, that happens in our lives. when When we begin to believe the lies of the enemy, he always tries to separate us from the people we're called to do life with. That's why community is so important. Your, your uh, Thrive Tribe is so important. To get involved in smaller groups where you can be seen and known and loved and to find the people that you're supposed to do life with is so important because when you're not connected with those people, guess what? there's room for more work in the enemy. And God's called you to life and life more abundantly. And life more abundantly looks like you finding your tribe and doing life with them. I would imagine that if Elijah was with his servant in that moment and those lies begin to attack him about how he's gonna die and how his life is is no longer worth living, his servant would have spoken up and said, you know what, no, no, no. That's not who God says you are. See, I need some people in my life that are gonna call me out. When I start getting depressed, when I start getting down, that someone says, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you remember like a week ago and you were gonna you called down fire from heaven and you remember how faithful God was then he's gonna be faithful today and tomorrow the same way like when I start getting full of anxiety and full of fear when I think about my future I need someone to remind me of my history with God and what we've walked through with him and I think that's what the servant was someone that says hey hey Elijah no 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 your life's worth living are you kidding me you are called by God and destined to change the world. you got to find some people in your life who look at you when you're down and who, who don't judge judge you but look at you and say, hey, I'm going to call you up to the thing that you're called to be. I'm going to call you up into your God-given identity and destiny. Amen? We need one another. One of the points I want to make with that is, is this. You know, in, in, in Genesis Actually, this is really interesting. Um, you know, in, in, when studying the Bible, there's this, what we call the law of first mention. I don't know if you've heard that, but basically what it means is the first time that something is mentioned in the Bible is really, you can find the foundational truth by which everything else that's mentioned beyond that point is built on. And so in Genesis, we actually find this amazing thing that God gave to us, this, this truth that God gave to us. That in Genesis chapter 2, this is before sin has entered into the equation, before there's any brokenness in humanity, we see that God gives us the first not good. The very first time God says that something's not good is in Genesis 2.18. And the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. How many of you have gotten it yet that we're not created to be alone? And there's, a, there's an idea in, in kind of our American Christianity that says it's just me and God. And all I need is me and God. Or me, it's me, God and my little family and that's all I need. And we're, we're just going to, that's all we need. And I would propose to you, not my opinion, but the Bible's opinion would say that's not all you need. God has so wired us and designed us to live in community together with one another. This uh, past week, or actually two weeks ago, I was in a Seminar with some of jim wilder 's guys, and these guys are neurotheologians is what they call it. and it 's really the intersection between uh, brain science and spirituality and, and this it 's amazing uh, the, the research and what we 're finding what science is telling us some things that really the bible 's been telling us for thousands of years okay but but science is catching up it 's catching up and it 's really cool and one of the things that's, that just blew my mind these guys were talking about our brains and how it works and And one of the things that they said that that every human being their brain is wired for is joy. Now, here's the way that they define joy. Joy is actually experienced. There's a chemical that's released in our brain when we see the glimmer in someone's eye or their face. And when that communicates to us, I want to be with you, our brain mixes up this chemical and that's when we experience joy. Now, here's what the uh, neurotheologians have found, that joy is the most needed thing in our brain. Actually, six times a second in a room like this, we don't even realize it, but we are looking for joy. We're looking for that look in someone's eye or someone's face that says, I want to be with you. We're wired that way. We're wired to need one another just to get our brains working the way that God created them. And they found that infants, you know, an infant can only see when they're born. They can only see from about their mother's breast to the mother's face. And guess what that infant's looking for six times a second, whether they know it or not? Joy. They're looking for somebody to say with their face and with their eyes, I want to be with you. I want to be with you when you're riding high. I want to be with you when you're riding low. It doesn't matter. That's why we can experience joy even in our suffering, even when we're going through a hard time. When somebody steps into my life and gives me that look of like, listen, no matter what happens, ride or die, I'm with you. We're going through this together. We begin to experience joy, and that begins to heal our brain. Now, this is what they say. You know, I'm just, I'm just a young guy from Palestine. I don't know what I'm talking about, okay? but this is what the Bible's been telling us since the beginning. You and I were wired for community and the enemy uses isolation. Isolation to get us in the place where we're disconnected from the very people that God put in our lives to heal us. Here's some of the symptoms of isolation. Running. Do you feel like you're running? Running from God? Running from yourself? Running from your problems? Elijah was running from, what we find out is that Elijah was running actually from the person he was called to confront. Are you tired? Exhausted? Depressed? Do you have suicidal thoughts like Elijah? I'm saying that all of these could be symptoms of your aloneness and your isolation. It's not good enough for us just to be in relationship with God. God actually designed us to have a relationship with him and with one another. So isolation is a very dang- dangerous place. And sometimes when we get in that place of isolation, one of the hardest things to do is to figure out how to carry our burdens. Because so often, the burdens that we carry, were never, we were never meant to carry alone. And I see Elijah here in this moment being crushed by the weight of what he was called to carry but him leaving his servant shows me that he was never called to carry that alone he was called to carry that with someone else God's put us together so isolation so lies lead us to fear fear is that motivating thing in our lives that leads us to the place where we are isolated and all alone now Being isolated and all alone, you would think that that is the enemy's ultimate plan for us. But I kind of see something else in this scripture that is revealed that is like the next level of where isolation will lead us to. And what I want us to do is jump back up to the scripture in verse 9. After Elijah had this wonderful pound cake from heaven, uh, he, for 40 days, was on this food. But the next paragraph, the next sentence that we see is Elijah is now in a cave. And so he's kind of like back in a place where he's all alone. You know, and that's like our journey towards freedom is like that. Although we've 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 experienced this freedom in Christ, many times we realize these patterns in our life where we've we've experienced freedom in one area, but then like maybe there's another area where we don't get to experience that freedom. And it's like we're having this we're having these reoccurring bad behaviors or we're having this reoccurring sin that's going in our lives and it's like, what is going on? And I think really this is kind of what's happening with Elijah. It's like he was down, God got him up, he he experienced that freedom and now next thing you know, he's in a cave all by himself, all again. And he's in this cage and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Turn to the person next to you and say, what are you doing here? some of you're like I-, I rode with you. What do you mean? I'm, I'm I'm here. Now, you know, let's 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 get right to the chase here. When God asks a question like this, he's not asking about your location. He knows all things. He knows where you are. I think the question that God is asking Elijah here, probably the same question that he's asking us here this morning is like what are you doing here? Like like why are we in this state? Why are we in this mental state, this emotional state, this, this spiritual state? What, like, what, the headspace that you're in, what are you doing here? And Elijah's response, um, he says in verse 10, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets by the sword. And I, even I only... Am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now the Lord comes again to him in the cave, in verse thirteen, and asks him the same question. He says, "What are you doing here?" And Elijah gives him the exact same response. And maybe you've heard the story, but uh, the Lord is there in in the in the. There's a there's an earthquake. There's some wind. There's some fire, and none of that stuff God was in, but it says that God was in the whisper. And before God asks Elijah this the second time, he said that he heard God's voice in the whisper. And in verse 13, when he heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave and behold, there was a voice that came and God asked him the question again. Now, Elijah's response is the same, but there's something that we see here. At the end of this paragraph, God tells Elijah that, that he's got 7,000 prophets that haven't bowed their knee to Baal, which is God's way of saying, hey, listen, you're not the only one. And here's the danger with isolation. is Isolation always leads us to a place of illusionment? When we're illusion, where, where we can't see the world for what it really is. Let me give you the definition of illusion. Illusion is something that deceives by producing a false or misleading impression of reality. So when we step into a place of illusion, all of a sudden we actually can't see the world and God and people for what it actually is. And like, like in our nation, I feel like that's where we're at. We're at the place where people are living in illusion. Because there's all these facts and truths and everybody, no one can agree on anything because no one can actually see what reality is. And this is a dangerous place. Because in the place of illusion, we actually begin to believe lies that go so deep to to tell us that we are the only ones. And I'm here to tell you this morning, you're never the only one. It doesn't matter what you're going through, no matter how deep or dark your depression is or, or, or how hopeless or broken you feel, you're never the only one. Now, I want us to see something in this story that's so, so important and so powerful. Because we kind of see Elijah in this story and we go, okay, like, that's me. He's on a journey. He's trying to get freedom. He's trying to walk out his life with God. And I'm trying to do that. Um, we see the enemy who is just constantly hurling these lies and these threats towards us and, and the fear that takes place in our lives. But, but where's God in all of this? You know, you ever ask that question? It's like, where's Jesus in all of this? Where's Jesus in my journey? Well, Jesus is right there with you, just like he's right there with Elijah. And every time that Elijah was, was even running or scared or depressed or suicidal— Where do we see Jesus? Jesus is revealed in the angel who draws near to him. And I love the attitude that Jesus has here because he doesn't come to us in a place where we're broken and hopeless and depressed and full of anxiety and say, hey, pull your boots up. Let's go. Get up. Sometimes I think that's the way our East Texas gospel sounds like. God helps those who help themselves. Like, I mean, God, well, if you could just get it together enough, then God will help you get the rest of the way. If you want freedom in your life, well, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to do this, this, and, and then, you know, then God will start helping you. But that's not, that's not what we see. What we see is a Jesus that comes all the way into our darkness and into our chaos and begins to help us out of that. He's making cakes for us. He's giving us water to drink. He's getting us out of that place. And notice there's no condemnation. Notice there's no, you shouldn't be here. Notice there's no, man, if you would have only done what I told you to do. There's just, hey, I'm with you. And this is the gospel that we preach that Jesus came into our world, put on flesh, and walked amongst us, walked as a human being so that not just that we could go to heaven, but that heaven could come to us. And to experience freedom in your life, you've got to get this. picture that God is with you in your journey towards freedom because the biggest lie that the enemy is always bringing into the equation is God's not with you he's not with you if you don't do it if he's not with you or he's going to stop being with you, none of it's true he's with you depression, anxiety hopelessness he gets in there with you when you go back into the cave. To me, the cave represents an echo chamber. The echo chamber of our own thoughts. Dangerous place to be in. When all you can hear is your own thoughts. And how many of you have tried to reason and figure out your future with just your thoughts alone? Oh my God. And then, you know, let's let the enemy introduce one negative thought that says, No, you're not going to make it. You're not enough. You're not good enough. You don't have what it takes. And then we just roll around. And this actually happens in the left side of your brain. But we'll let the, the pros talk to you about that. But you just constantly are thinking and thinking about your future without God in the equation of it. And you're just thinking all these thoughts that are your thoughts. And I say, that's what it's like being in the cave. The only voice you can hear is yours. But God calls Elijah out to the edge of the cave. And here's what I have for you this morning, that God is calling you, if you're in that place where you're stuck in the loop of your own thoughts, God is calling you out of the place of just your own thoughts to the place where you can hear his voice more clearly. The edge of the cave where he can say, what are you doing here? And he can begin to disillusion you. He take away the illusion so that you can see him for who he really is. So that you can see yourself for who you really are and you can see the world around you, the people around you for who you are. They really are. One of the great dangers with illusions is not just the the false reality that we live in. But when we live in illusions long enough, we actually begin to project that illusion on everyone else around us. So all of a sudden, what's actually not a reality, now you're trying to project on everyone else. And, you know, as a parent, you kind of start seeing this. As you're raising your kids, you're going... Ooh, they're turning out just like me and I want more for them. (laughs) I want them to be better. And it's like, if I can't see the world the way it actually is, how am I going to show them to see it that way? Because I'm just projecting on them the way I I see it and I'm like, God, you've got to help. You've got to give me a new way of seeing the world. And that's what he came to do. He came to pull us out of that cave, pull us out of that place of brokenness and depression and pull us into his presence so that we can experience not our freedom, but his freedom, and walk that out. You know, the church that I'm at, we have a, we're a very, uh, you know, we, we, we would call it like a prophetic culture. And so, you know, people hear the voice of the Lord and they speak that. And one of the things that we have to help walk people through is not projecting the prophetic through their own lenses. You know, sometimes when we see, if we see, like, here's what we you, Do you think God's mad? If you think God's mad, if God's an angry father and the Lord speaks to you and he says, hey, I want you to tell this person that, but you believe that God is an angry father. Guess how you're, the tone and the manner of which you're going to deliver that word that God gave you as an angry father, because that's the way God is. But what if you saw God as a loving father? Then when God says something and you're going to relay that word to somebody, you go, you project it like a loving father versus an angry father. What if you believe that the world is going to end in a year and everything is doom and gloom and we have no future? And then when the Lord speaks to you about the future, guess what? There's a certain urgency and doomsday attitude that you have towards this future. And it lacks hope. But what if you saw God as the God of love and hope and that no matter what judgment the Lord brings... There's always hope, and especially for his bride. Wouldn't there be a different tone that you deliver that word from the Lord? And so I'm saying that the illusions can become so dangerous when we begin to project those illusions onto other people. And so many people are turned off by Christianity and God because Christians talk about a God that people can't see in their lives. And we live in an illusion. Is that too heavy? I'm sorry. That was like that was a little intense. I'm going to back it up. You want me to tell another Chick-fil-A joke? Okay, No. God came. Jesus came to set us free, and He wants to liberate our eyes so that we can see Him for who He really is, and see ourselves for who we really are. See everyone else for who they really are. You know, we have this. We we were having a prayer time in our church, and um, we were praying against the. We're a praying church. We pray all the time. I say that because we pray all the time. Sometimes I get tired, I'll be honest. But the Lord's faithful. And we were praying, and we were praying for America. We were praying against, you know, the, just some of, the, some of the chaos that's going on, cities that are being burned and torn down, and uh, this particular group, Antifa, that was really destroying some cities. And one of the guys got up there, and and he began to pray. For the leaders of Antifa. And, you know, we we're praying against the chaos. We're praying that God's peace and his kingdom would come and that he would rule and reign, that he would reconcile everyone. And, you know, we're pre- so we're praying the right stuff. It's good stuff. But this guy gets up there and he begins to pray for the leaders of Antifa. That they would have a Saul to Paul conversion. That they would be knocked off their horse, but encounter the Lord and become the leaders, not of, of Antifa, but of the church. And it was like this wave hit me of like, oh, I've been seeing it wrong this whole time. See, because when someone has it, when they see it clearly, when they see God's heart for humanity or heart for people, you go, oh, God, you liberated me from the blinders that I had. So I was praying prayers that honestly weren't getting answered because I wasn't praying the the specific will of God. And then when somebody gets up there and begins to pray and release the kingdom, you go, that's the way it is. And God takes away the illusion so i begin to see him the way he actually is myself and then the leaders of antifa i said oh wow i need to pray for these people's salvation in that moment i was set free okay so what's the remedy you want to you want a remedy here you want a solution you want to you want some some real clues here to to help you in your process your journey of freedom Number one is we need to identify these lies in our lives. Identify the lies. You know, uh, Jesus said it this way in in John 8. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth is our key to freedom. Freedom. I said this in the first service. I want to say it again. Truth is not just more truthful information. So because if that were the truth, then we wouldn't have all this, these different viewpoints in our world right now. If everybody knew the truth, they would say, well, well if you just give up that truth for this truth and just hire you know, a higher truth, then we would lead us into more information, and that would bring transformation in our lives although truth is extremely important and the information is important, I think we need to realize that truth is not just information. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus. See, because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the life, and I am the truth. No one goes to the Father except through me. He is the truth. Now, here's what's important about Jesus being the truth. When Jesus is the truth, here's the other truth that's revealed in that that God is with us because he is Emmanuel, God with us. So the truth is not just information. It's also the revelation that we're connected with Jesus. So he was leaving, Jesus is leaving, and he says, listen, I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit with you who's going to guide you into all truth. So we, you know, I do this almost every day. I say, Lord, are there any truths that I've believed about you or me or anyone else that you want to show to me. Any, I'm sorry, any lies that I've believed that you want to reveal. And when God reveals the truth, it's not enough just to know the lies. You've got to replace the lies with the truth. And that is the truth of God's word. That is the truth of God's word. So when you identify the lies, here's the, what you're coming into. God is with me. That's the truth. God is with you in every moment or season of life when we're replacing the truth for those, when we're trading the truth for the lies, here's what we're doing. We're saying that God is for me. That's why the word is so powerful. And, and to take verses and to, you know, the verses really don't mean anything unless you believe them. And it's like, okay, you use these verses and, and find the verses that say what God says about you. And you declare those over your life every every day. Listen, you'll find out that God is for you. He's not against you. God is with you, and he's for you. And here's the next thing. The third thing that we need to do, here's the remedy, is that we need to walk in the light together. Walk in the light together. So we have these, these, these things that are being revealed, that God is with me, that God is for me, but then there's this walking in the light together. So 1 John chapter 1, and verse 5. This is the message... That we have heard from him, speaking of Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Okay, that makes sense, right? If you say that you're in relationship with God and you're walking in his reality and you're understanding the truth, yet the actions in your life are darkness darkness. They're sin, they're producing bad things around you. It's like, hey, we're not practicing the truth. And so, let's go to the next verse, because this is the key. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, guess what? We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Your pathway to freedom is not disconnected from the people around you. God has neurologically wired us this way. He's been declaring this in his word since the beginning, that our way to freedom is actually gonna be found in a process with one another. Now this is really hard because relationships are difficult. Can I get, is that, I all right? Like, relationships get really difficult especially when we get wounded and hurt. And our tendency is to wall up and close up and not allow people in. And we've even adopted this thing where we'll let God in, but not people. And I'm kind of leading us to this point where I'm revealing that that's actually not possible. Because if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And he cleanses us, he heals, he heals us. And that's what I feel like Lord wants to do this morning, is bring healing into your life. And he wants to do that through his word, his Holy Spirit, revealing the truth to you. But he also wants to do that through the people that are around you. To reveal that and to help you Through this healing, this is the remedy that will disillusion us, that will put us back into community, that will set us free from fear, and will allow us to walk in the truth. Now, I'm very practical. I I like to know, like, okay, well, James, how often do we do this? It's like, well, every day. I wish I could tell you that it's just, we could do it all right now. We just all do it right now. And it's like, okay, we're done. We did the process. But God's not a God of just processes. He's a God of relationship. And he wants to be with you in this journey. And listen, I, I realize that there's so many lies that we've believed about ourselves. There's so many so many places of our heart that we've given root and authority to the enemy to speak to us about those things, and we've just allowed this this narrative to continue running in our lives. Would you be willing to allow the Lord to come in and replace that false narrative with the truth of his word, of what he says about you? Would you trust him enough to allow him into the the places you're kind of scared to talk about the places that are deep in your heart, deep in your mind he wants to go there with you because he wants to heal you let me pray for us i just feel this strongly let's let's bow our heads if you're here this morning and you've been, uh, you've been struggling with some intense anxiety, I just want you to know that the Lord sees you. And I, I just have this phrase rumbling around in me. of Maybe you've tried to imagine your future. There's a lot of anxiety that comes when you try to imagine the future. With just your own thoughts. And I felt like the Lord was just nudging me to say, why don't you partner with God in imagining your future so that you can imagine a future with God in the equation instead of just you in the equation. Lord, I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for every person that's here, God, just your presence that's here with us this morning. Lord, we recognize that you're doing a good thing. You're doing a good thing in in Thrive Church, God. You're doing a good thing in Athens, God. You're doing a good thing in the lives of everyone that's here today, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you so desire freedom for our lives, freedom for our souls, Lord, freedom for our emotions, Lord, that you actually care for every part of our being, Lord. And you alone know how we were designed and knit together, Lord. Lord, we ask you this morning just just to repair the trauma surrounding these, these, these areas of our life where we're afraid to approach them, Lord. Lord, I thank you that, that even though we may be at the end of ourselves, Lord, it's not the end of you. And that the end of ourselves could just be the beginning of your story in our lives, Lord. And we just want to recognize that, that you're so faithful to do that, Lord. And I want to ask that you would come and invade our thoughts even now, Lord. Invade our hearts, Lord come into those places where we feel all alone Lord and heal us we thank you for the freedom that we have in Jesus we bless you amen